Hey everybody, it's Video Nights. I'm your host, Michael. You're gonna notice Andrew's not here. It's because we did our final episode of Video Night before we take our hiatus. And uh, so we're just wrapping up some episodes that have been lingering for the last few months. I'm uh, doing one with my sister where we're talking about Steve Martin uh, around the time of The Jerk where his career was kind of floundering and it's kind of interesting to see where it went. Um, but also, the other episode's been sitting around for a while. Uh, it's with my friend John. Say hello to the kids, Hey, John. how's it going? I don't know why I say this. There's no kids listening to this, and, and nor should they. Parents, if you're listening to this your kids, there's probably going to be a couple F-bombs. Besides, why do you want your kids to know about Boy and his Dog? Why? Why do you want to know about this? <laughs> Give them some time. Grow up first. Uh, this is going to be 70s dystopian. Are they all? Would you count all these as dystopian? What is, what oh, is... yeah, definitely. Okay. I, I'm always confused because a post-apocalyptic and dystopian belong in the same category, correct? Yeah, well, actually, no, you're right. I guess maybe Damnation Alley isn't all that uh, dystopian as much as it's just post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it's because it's, dystopian requires that society still functions. It's just a fucked up future, right? Yeah. Whereas, the opposite of utopia. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then post-apocalyptic is, oh, <laughs> there's no chance really left. <laughs> this is all yeah. messed up. It's like we've we've gone through the apocalypse. Now, are we going to survive? Yeah, the um, and usually the answer is no. Yeah, they don't make a whole lot of pre-apocalypse movies. I think Deep Impact might be one of them, and that's about it. <laughs> well, if you count zombie movies, so let's count as pre or post. Uh, it depends on how far into the po- into the uh, zombiness it is. That's true. If it just started, then you're like pre, and then if it's afterwards, you're definitely post. Uh, where are we going with this? Okay, so uh, our four films this episode are going to be a boy and his dog. Uh, Soylent Green, I did those in opposite order, sorry. Soylent Green's first, Boy and His Dog, Logan's Run, and Damnation Alley. I had it written in front of me and I still screwed that up. <laughs> well, it's, there. it depends on which one you're watching. Some feel a little more, I don't want to say contemporary, but at least they feel a little more structured, whereas some of them, all they do is just take a uh, camera out into the desert and said, here, this is the end, this is the end of the world. Yeah, and uh, I believe... All four of these are based on novels, correct? Novels, novellas, and I'm about to say short story, but no, I think all of them are either just full-on novels or at least a novella of some kind. It does feel like in the 70s the best sci-fi movies were usually based on novels, and then in the 80s it was just a free-for-all. It was like, what can we achieve with these special effects? Fuck it, go! <laughs> well, and these are all very thematically the same. Well, I don't want to say the same, but uh, you have very much a running theme of the environment is what's going to kill us all. Yeah. We we uh, we screwed up so bad that greenhouse or the poles shifting or something, we're going we are the cause of our own apocalypse. Our first movie is Soylent Green and and what I was finding interesting about Charlton Heston's career is up until Planet of the Apes, he was doing these big, massive, epic movies. Either it was a huge western or like sword and sandal kind of movies. Um, and then he started doing the more uh, cynical sci-fi for a few years, and those were all very popular. And then he jumped right into the wave of disaster movies, and all these movies were hits. And all of a sudden, around 1980, everybody's like, yeah, we're done with him. We're just done. He had two or three flops right in a row, and then he just kind of semi-retired. But for uh, 20 years, he was the biggest star in the world. 
Yeah, and this is, like, this and Planet of the Apes really are my favorite uh, Charlton Heston films. And I guess I, guess I love him uh, dealing with uh, the end of the world. And, yeah. Uh, well, how do you feel like about that. Mega Man, then? It's been a while. I recently came across it, so I have a copy of it. I need to watch it again. But I... I seem to remember of the three uh, adaptations of I Am Legend, it's the one I like the most, but I haven't seen it in, God, like 15 years. It's it's the one that's most of its time, though. And then I felt that a little bit soil and green. Planet of the Apes is completely timeless. There's nothing that reads 1968, in my opinion, except maybe the special effects. But there's certain things like, okay, so it's the far-flung future. What was it? It's two years from now, right? 2022? It's... It's 2022. And they have TVs the size of my computer, and it looked like shit. And I was like, well, all right, you guys didn't foresee (laughs) flat screen, I guess. Yeah, this is, of of the films, this feels the most uh, prophetic. I I have a feeling that maybe in two years we might actually have Soylent Green. (laughs) (laughs) We we joke sometimes. I'm I'm borderline. I, I, I fluctuate with what I'm going to eat, so sometimes I'll eat meat, sometimes I won't, and I feel really guilty about when I do eat meat. Um, and I keep thinking that sometimes, like, well, we're running out of places to raise cows. We're all going to be eating, you know, fake meat. And then I was like, well, what if we eventually run out of the area for the beans? Oh, there's too many of us. Oh, that's right, Soylent Green. That's what Soylent Green's about. We're going to be eating each other. Yeah, and at this point, this is not really a spoiler because this is in the zeitgeist so much. Yeah. Like, I knew what the twist of Soylent Green was long before I saw the film. And it's Soylent Green is people. Soylent Green is made from people. <laughs> I. What's funny is in watching this, I, I thought I misremembered the ending where everyone, you know, you go like Soylent Green is people. For some reason, I thought I misremembered that because as they're carting him away, he, he has the, you know, you gotta tell him yeah. Soylent Green is people, you know, and I'm going like. Am I misremembering that he screams it? Am I just thinking, oh, no, that's because I'm thinking of the ending of... Uh, uh, damn, you blew it all to hell, you damn... <laughs> but, you yeah, know, he does, still, like he, he does bellow it at the very end as they're taking him away. He raises his hand and says it. In my head, though, I thought for some reason that he burst out of a building out into the crowd and screamed it. I don't know why I thought that. I mean, I've seen a parody of it, and that's that was locked into my brain. Well, no, that's that's the original ending to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and that's kind of where I was thinking too. Oh, okay. Was I would think I was mis I felt like I was misremembering that because that's also a very iconic ending. We don't have sci-fi about, movies you know, like that anymore, where people are just bursting out in, in terror, like they're coming for us, run. <laughs> well, we don't have that. Well, actually, no, we do now have that Cold War paranoia yep. again. So maybe we'll start getting that. Well, it's also we're those movies came from a time. of place where it was uh we're all frustrated there's so much with the, going on with the vietnam war the assassinations the riots and it was just feel like the world was bursting at the seams and uh it's funny is everybody seems to think that charlton heston's a piece of shit because he was a spokesman for the nra but at the time he was a spokesman of the nra they weren't fucking insane like it, it was around 93 94 when he was i think he with drew as uh the spokesman he's still a member i think but that's when, like, the new guy, Wayne LaPierre, took over, and then that's when the NRI slowly built into madness. So when people talk about Charlton Heston, it seems like all they remember. But if you look at those trilogy of movies, Omega Man, Planet of the Apes, 
and Soylent Green, those are very forward, progressive-thinking movies, almost liberal in ways. Yeah, although this, I, and this, this is more so when we go into uh, Boy and His Dog, there's also an interesting misogyny in this film. Yeah. Because of the whole, yeah, women are, well, some women, I don't, we don't, can't say for 100% certain about every woman, but furniture is, is their title. They aren't necessarily people, they're just parts of the, of a rich person's apartment. Yes, but it's also a commentary on the rich, the elite, what we would call now the 1%, is they're the only ones living a high life. Now think about the future where you have nothing, there's no jobs, what do you have that you can do? You can only sell your body. I, I see this as a future, we're all running out of jobs, we're all either going to be whores, or we're going to be uh, uh, warriors in one way or another, either in a ring or out on a battlefield. It's all you have is your body to, to sell. Yeah, you're only the only commodity you really have left. But yeah, it's I found that interesting that because I watched Sonic Green like maybe an hour or so after watching Point His Dog. So it's kind of an interesting uh juxtaposition. Yeah, and in Boy and His Dog is much more misogynistic and I think it's almost the point. Uh, I never read the original. I read. I never, I never read any of these novels. Have you read any of them? Uh, I have read the novella for Damnation Alley, but I don't remember that. Yeah, I want to get the comic uh, book and... of Boy and His Dog because Richard Corbin did the artwork and Harlan Ellison wrote the comic, and I, I'm really interested in finding that. Well, apparently there's a there's a few of those Boy and His Dog stories. So it had actually went on long long after that, and I guess it's. Again, that one's it's a dark comedy, and the only main difference between, the, I guess, the book and the uh, film itself is that last line. That and isn't he older? Don Johnson is not oh, fifteen. Yeah, and he's old. Yeah, and he's older. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that one, though, Soldier Green, I want to say is um, I looked this up on Wikipedia, and this said it only made three million dollars. There's no fucking way this only made three million dollars. Maybe the budget was three million dollars. I can see that. But I, I just, for some reason, was like, no, there's no way this would have got to the zeitgeist been talked about forever and ever if it was a bomb. Yeah, but then again, that's also in an era where I, I can't say for certain how much a truly successful film could be. But, uh, yeah, it's like $3 million sounds very low, but also I'm going, but at the same time... Films aren't making billions of dollars like yeah, they are now. Yeah, but I too. just felt like maybe uh, reporting on what box office revenue was back then is a lot harder to do now. Or h- harder yeah, to do probably, then than it is now. Yeah, it's also probably because they're only taking in domestic and not international, international yeah. and things like But um, the one thing I really enjoyed about this movie was how much heart his character did have towards the end because Charles Heston during this time period was known as being like the cynical disconnected guy almost like a uh, um, uh, about the times like he was the everyman of that to- terrible time you know late 60s early 70s and when he loses Edward G. Robinson he's so much passion in that and I was I, every time I watch it I get so incredibly sad because uh, and I and this is the weird thing is I've seen it three or four times now and I still not 100% certain what is his relation? Is that his father? I think it's just like his... Because since they're essentially roommates, I think that's kind of, in a way, his. it's become his friend. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he used old... to be an ex-cop, and then you know maybe that was his partner when he was younger. 
I can't figure that part out. Yeah, it is. That is kind of a interestingly vague uh, relationship. But it's also it's worth noting that that is this is Edward G. Robinson's last film, and that he died ten days after he finished in finished shooting. Wow. So there's uh, there's a little bit of uh, some of the emotion that Heston has is actually due to the fact that he knew that uh, Edward G. Robinson was close to death yeah and i know they were friends because he almost worked on planet of the ace but he could not stand the makeup yeah and that was it they they have worked together you know a few times so it's it's that thing where it's just he <laughs> sees his friend and you can have this it's not necessarily acting I, if i remember correctly i think he's in 10 commandments and he still has that way of talking in ancient biblical times yeah she here moses get put, put down those tablets she <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, one thing I I feel dumb about this, but it, like when Edward G. Robinson's character goes through the assisted suicide thing, and you get those beautiful, you know, that montage and music and stuff like that, and then it's repeated at the end. I feel stupid, but I'm going. Is that indicating that they are just killing, even though he's dying anyway? Yeah, that they're just killing off. Uh, okay character at the very end that was supposed to be i i'm not sure they had taken him off to be turned into food i'm not sure but you know what's funny is when he takes it when edward g robinson voluntarily goes to the assisted suicide place you think that maybe he would have i don't know told charlton hessen first about selling green he could have waited an afternoon and it's like one of those like oh hey i'm glad you're here oh i forgot to tell you about this really important thing yeah, I found out that there is no no plankton thing. So Soil Green is apparently made of something that's not that is not ocean plankton. Yeah, it made me think of Snowpiercer when they are starting to collect up the bugs for that little those little bars. Yeah, yeah that 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 is an interesting uh, parallel too, where there are a lot of these films ended up turning into other things of uh, pop culture. Yeah, like. Hell, most of these films ended up becoming uh, the game Fallout. Yeah, they said that, that uh, Boy and that Dog was a big influence on Fallout. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, Damnation Alley, definitely. And uh, definitely uh, parts of Logan's Run. The um, Somewhere in my head, I was convinced that Chuck Connors had an eye patch and a claw for a hand in this movie. I was convinced. And I kept going, all right, when the hell is he going to get the claw on the eye patch? Does he get hurt and eventually get it? No. Somehow I combined three of his roles into one. He wears an eye patch in the werewolf TV shows, uh, where he's the villain in that. And then he has a claw in uh, Richard Harris's movie, 99 and 4400% Dead. And, uh, yeah, for some reason I just took those two characteristics and slapped into Soylent Green. Just, well, again, it's, it, I don't want to say this is a forgettable film, but this is a film that definitely, and I, I really enjoy this, I found myself, like I said, just kind of going, I re don't remember this film as much as I probably should. Yeah, I, it's, some movies are really good, but something about them just doesn't stick out. You only remember the ending. And, and I remember watching this going, oh, I don't This is I don't remember this act at all. I don't remember this in the structure. There's All these movies had this in it. I didn't remember pieces of it. Um, our second film, Boy and His Dog, is not plot-heavy. So when I would come upon pieces, no. I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Uh, if I would forget that, because it's all kind of rambling through the desert on the search for women and uh, food. 
Yeah, it just now it's 2024, so also pretty close to us. And apparently, the future is just uh, just a couple of miles off the 10 freeway in the desert between California and Nevada. <laughs> and then, well, and then I made, I found out that it's supposed to be set in Phoenix. So, all right, <laughs> I I could buy it. The uh... The, 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 it's so interesting seeing Don Johnson early in his career. He only had two minor hits, and basically for the next decade, they tried as hard as they could to get him movies, get him TV shows, get him launched as a star, and it just didn't happen until his mid-30s with Miami Vice, and NBC wanted nothing to do with Don Johnson because he had been in so many failures. And it's just so funny how his career could have done, gone down the tubes like five years, you know, by the 90s, no one knew who the hell he was. But things just turned around, and I think... That's a big reason why you discover a boy and his dog is because he's a name now. And the fact that this clearly is in public domain because I've seen it on a thousand different sets. Yeah, and well, that's the thing is this, it's not a particularly good film, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's mostly about the dialogue and the characters. There's not a lot of action. It's very, very low budget. I think they shot it for like $200,000 or something. Well, Tim Tim McIntyre's voice of uh, Blood is amazing he he make he really does sell the film i'm sorry Every, who does the voice everything else, uh tim mcintyre you're kidding me He's this whole the, fucking time i thought that was jason robards i thought jason robards was playing two roles in this i thought he was voicing the dog no no son of a bitch who's tim mcintyre then <laughs> uh I'm not sure exactly who. I just okay. know that he's the voice, and he also sings the the titular song. <laughs> it, it's he's the most enjoyable part in this. His his uh, I, I just don't understand how well you're at, Don Johnson must have been acting off someone speaking to him off stage, and they just cut the audio and then and then implanted the dog's audio or something. I don't know. Or maybe Tim McIntyre was just standing off to the corner because I feel like they're having a real conversation. I kept having to remind myself, right, dogs don't talk. Don't, dogs don't talk. I own a dog. I know it doesn't talk. Stop it. Well, I also kind of like the reveal that, that the dog is psychic because it's very nonchalant where he's kind of crawling around the desert looking at things, and it kind of sound, comes off like he's listening to a guy who's far away looking through things with a scope, kind of like, uh, you know, surveying the area for him. Yeah. To let him know when dangers pass, and then all of a sudden, just the dog comes by, comes by, and starts talking. The uh, I keep forgetting that there's a little chunk in the middle because most of it's just him trying to get food from other people or save women, or whatever. But he's not saving them for because he's a good guy. He's very um, uh, not oh, sociopathic, this, this immoral, film, I guess. Yeah, there he doesn't have. Yeah, he's basically raised in this environment where. It's killed to survive, and he's never gained any sort of morality. Right. I mean, it's it's road warrior times. It's going to happen. You're going to have to make these hard choices. But uh, but I keep forgetting there's this other act in the movie where you have Jason Robarbs in this white painting. He has this like little cult leader kind of stuff, and it is so strange it, it, that that comes out of nowhere. But I feel like that's almost yeah. normal now for all apocalyptic movies. They always have this little chunk off to the side that's almost uh, episodic. Yeah, well, it's like, well, I, I thought it was very funny is before they go to Topeka, uh, that there's the uh, the porn theater. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. like, I'm proud of that. Yeah, it's like, society has collapsed. You know, this this town is basically, I mean, to call it a shanty town is being kind. But it has a porn theater. 
And how did they run this porn theater? Was that on a generator? <laughs> so, yeah, something like that. Something running past yeah, a flashlight gonna... very, very fast with the film? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to tell what's going on. Just all of a sudden, yeah, he goes in to, uh, to see a porn film, and it's like, well, I guess this is the 70s. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he's led on a trek with this girl that he's trying to save, and she wants him to get rid of the dog, and it becomes this tug, and, you know, like, do you want to be with me? Well, you got, you know, you got to follow me or whatever. You want to have sex with me, you're going to have to do what I say. And he's, like, torn. It's like, and the dog's like, don't do this. I'm warning you. This isn't going to go right. And he goes, oh, you're selfish. You know, you just want what you want. It's a, it's an interesting play with between the three of them, you know, which direction they're trying to pull the boy. Yeah, and he eventually just goes by his base in, his yes yeah, general base instincts. He wants sex, and uh, well, he, he gets sex. He wants more sex, and she lead. Uh, he ends up kind of following her into uh, this underground world. That's yeah, this weird nineteen fifties white face nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I swear they steal. And... There's a movie called Alien from L.A. with uh, Kathy Ireland that Canon Pictures did around 87, 88. And I swear they lift things from this because there's little elements. You're like, well, that's from that's from Boy and His Dog. I know that. But, yeah, the entire thing is, though, he, he basically was led down there to be uh, a, breeding, a breeding mare, essentially. Yeah. A stud, really, I should say. And they're gonna kill him. Just he has to. He gets to impregnate thirty-five women artificially, and then he gets to be killed. That's, that's a like shame. Entire... If you're gonna be killed for it, it should be artificial. <laughs> well, no, I'd rather have the fun than and then kill as opposed to the electroshock thing that they're doing to him. Yeah, and then, but it's, she only let him down there because she wants to overthrow her society. Yeah, it's it's the ending of the movie. We're not just seriously. If you haven't seen the movie, just pause now and fast forward. Uh, but I was shocked by the ending. I really didn't think he was going to make that decision. I don't know why. I mean, as an adult now, I do. But when I saw it twenty years ago, I was like, "Yo, what? You you didn't just yeah?" Leave? I said like, <laughs> I said, well, it's even then. It's if the ending after that when you get to to the ending, and it's like off screen they kill her and eat her, and it's like to save uh, Blood's life. It's like fuck yeah oh it's Vic Vic not the boy I don't know why some, some of these movies the characters literally have no names they just have a descriptor and I forgot his name's Vic um, yeah and he's and he's like called uh, something the dog kind of teases him with a name like Albert I think it was oh right yeah yeah stop calling me Albert damn it the, um, which makes me think that that was his actual name and then he wanted to go by Vic yeah oh I can see that yeah he wants to start it's his own life. Explained. He doesn't want to be told what his name is by someone else who's not around anymore. He wants to choose his own name. I see that. Yeah, it's never explained. It's just, you know, an assumption I've made while listening to the film because he just keeps calling him that, and it feels like that could be the only explanation. The uh, the director of this is L.Q. Jones, who's a character actor, and I believe this is the only movie he's ever directed. I, I still don't know why he wanted to do this so bad, and... You know, basically distribute. That, that's why it wasn't a hit. He distributed it himself. I don't think any studio wanted to touch it, or he wanted to make the rules. So it just made like the drive-in circuit for a couple of years, and then just disappeared for a long time until it became someone realized it was public domain. 
because since he distributed himself, I don't think he filed the paperwork correctly. Yeah, and well, and that's the thing. It's like this is supposed to be a black comedy, and I understand it. I just don't think it's funny. No, it's it's it's, it's yeah, it's got its own sense of humor, but I, yeah, I'm not on board with it either. Yeah, it's like I think if they had played a little more straight, it'd be more disturbing, obviously. But uh, I think it probably would be a maybe a better received film. Maybe, but it's also the '70s, and '70s is weird and wild because there's so many independent movies that were hits, and maybe he saw maybe well, you know, Walking Tall, you know, made for nothing and distributed and stuff like that. Texas Chainsaw Massacre distributed by itself. And uh, they made gobs and gobs of money, and maybe he thought that was the route that he was going to take, and, and it would be a huge hit, and it just didn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it is based on a, off a Harlan Ellis you know, novella, and especially at that time, he was producing some great sci-fi, yeah. so it, it's understandable why you would want to try and make something. Yeah. But at the same time, I go, but this one? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it was cheap to get. Who knows? Um, yeah. Our third movie is Logan's Run, which uh, this is the one I've seen the most. And I've even watched the TV show, people. It's not bad. Uh, it didn't last very long. Gregory Harrison takes over uh, as Logan, and they just continue the ventures afterwards. Like, if I remember correctly, at the end of the movie, uh, they still haven't discovered the rest of that world. Right, yeah, they haven't. They've only gone to like the, the one major building, the Capitol, and uh, they go explore the rest of their world and discover all these little pockets of society that have survived as well. And it's really interesting. And that's that's an interesting thing because I look at this film and part of me, once you get to the resolution where where everybody is let you know set free into this world, I just kind of look at it and go, you do realize that these people are all functionally children. Yeah, they don't know how to do anything for themselves. They're all going to die. <laughs> yeah, there is another novel by William F. Nolan called Logan's World. I've never read it and I don't know where the story goes. And I believe MGM was interested in going into a, a sequel film because this made a gob ton of money. That's not a word, gob ton. I just made it up. Um, trademark. <laughs> the uh, But Saul David owned the rights. He just brought it to MGM, and he said it'd be more successful as a TV series. And look, it only made 13 episodes, so it's not that successful, dummy. Yeah, yeah. I, I just... I remember, I know this is a film that people have been trying to remake for yeah. years, and I kind of, as I kind of would like to see a remade version, but at the same time, this is just so. Of of all these films, this is the one that does scream the most sci-fi. And while I would love to see it updated, I do kind of like how cheesy the uh, its view of the future is. Yeah. Is it amazing this Everyone's... is only one year before Star Wars? They seem like they're a decade apart. Yeah, very much so. This this is very much like you could tell this is what people in the seventies thought the future would be, <laughs> whereas you know, Star Wars ends up being more of what we we think the future would be. Yeah. It's I mean, it had groundbreaking special effects and ideas. It's just it just felt like it was so far behind of what would come next. You know, the, the updated laser, you know, the way they looked and uh, the hologram usage and stuff like that and, and more wire work with bringing in vehicles and stuff like that. But I, if they did remake this, obviously it's going to be CGI heavy. But also, I've heard two different things. Joel Silver is the one who owns the rights. He's been trying to remake this forever. And at one point he got really close. Ryan Gosling had signed on right after Drive. And the guy who directed it, uh, what the hell's the guy's name? 
Nicholas. Oh, uh, Refren or whatever. Win or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I can't remember. But he was going to direct it, and I was like, I don't know, man. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who handles sci-fi. It'd be really weird and annoying. Uh, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in that park where people love... I'm not a David Lynch guy either, so I'm, I'm very mainstream, I guess. Um, well, I I will say this. It would be a very beautiful film. Yeah, it would if look amazing. Good, yeah. yeah. Whether it, it's good or not is kind of immaterial. It would probably be R-rated. It would probably be like really slow and somber and then all of a sudden explosive violence. Yeah, well, that's the thing. is This is a very sexual film. Oh, yes. And it's... and. Which is kind of funny because, I mean, as much as Boy's Dog is misogynistic sex fantasy for, like, a 14-year-old boy, this is very much like the uh, the free love movement and almost a uh, almost an attack on it, really. Yeah, it feels it's, like. uh, you self-indulgent asses. You, you're going to destroy the world. Your free-willing uh, lifestyle is going to end the universe. Yeah, because, I mean, you have, aside from... Like the, you can order a person, you know, to have sex with, and it doesn't, like, it's kind of, it doesn't seem like it's played for a laugh, but you kind of have the Michael York first getting a, a dude, and who's, he's like, nah, not today. Yeah, but he, and then goes, yeah, that's interesting, because he didn't, see, if it was an 80s movie, he'd go, I, you know, I ain't gay, what the hell is that shit, you know, or something stupid, because the 80s are so homophobic, but in the 70s, he was just kind of like, meh. Uh, not today. Like, he didn't shut it down. He didn't say he wasn't gay. He was just like, not my vice for the day. Yeah, he's like, oops, wrong, you know, wrong channel. Just, just, nah, not this one. Yep. And, of course, there's also the orgy store. Oh, right. Okay, okay, I cannot believe this movie's PG. I know PG-13 didn't exist back then, but this really seems like it'd be R. The way they treat death like it's nothing, there was blood... And then there's a. It's not uh, like up front. That melting, that melting dude. Oh melting yeah, dude into gore. That was an. That's actually an impressive special effect for that time. But there's nudity in this. It's not gobs, you know, right in front of your face like a Roger Corman film of the time period. But there's still nudity. Yeah, and well, I think it's funny is how it's and again free love and all that kind of stuff. It's very much not an issue. You know, she's she disrobes in front of him, and it's not. I mean, we're going like. You know, kind of look at it through our eyes now. It's like, dude, she's getting naked. You know, and this is a PG movie. What the heck? Yeah. And it's and it's like, but they're just kind of treating like, yeah, they're, they're, she's naked. Well, yeah, you know, all those, uh, so the those frozen people are nude. Yeah. The other version of this, and it's the book version of this, is you die at eighteen or it's eighteen or twenty one. Twenty one. And I can't imagine what that would be like if they filmed that now. With the orgy and sex scenes, because you got to be real careful. I can see why they do it, because, like, Hunger Games and stuff like that, you know, younger age, dystopian films are really hot, Maze Runner and stuff like that. But you got to be real careful if you're going to go with the orgy scenes. And you know it's going to be PG-13, so they just kind of have to insinuate, but they have to make sure, well, everybody's going to be 18 in this. Oh, God, don't sue us. Yeah, and that's... But there's also one thing in this that really annoyed me, and I would go, if they remade it, you totally would need to remove this. That's all that stuff with box in that frozen. Yeah, that was kind area. of stupid. I didn't, I didn't care for that at all. It went on too long too. Well, it's like yeah, it goes on too long. It doesn't. It's a false threat too. You kind of, oh, all the runners end up getting frozen. Okay, well then that needs to be the climax of your film. That the idea that sanctuary is not only is it bullshit, but it is another form of control. And this robot is just there to, to you know can contain anyone who runs away yeah but that's the thing i don't understand but, 
If control knows this, set this up. Why send Logan? I don't understand. Why did he send him? Is it just yeah, to wipe out to wipe out that other group they get to? You know, they blow down the walls. They start killing all the people who are trying to to get out. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it it becomes this false threat because then once you get past it, it's oh no, there is no sanctuary. It's just post apocalyptic DC, and you know apparently someone made it out some time ago because there's a dude living out there who's 100% natural human. Yeah, and he can't be the only one. There's just no way he's the only one. So I'm interested in what the second book is about. I mean, do they explore and find other life there? Or is it about the kids trying to survive in their in their society they have outside the wall? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like, this is a film that has so many brilliant ideas, and it just... It needed to either go further, but then at the same time, I kind of look at it and go, at the same time, I want this to be Planet of the Apes, <laughs> where you get the false threat, you know, you get the threat at the end, where yeah. it's, you know, okay, it's a lie, but they, they escape, they get out there, and then they discover post-apocalyptic DC, and then you have to end it there, because there's no humanity, nothing out there, but then again, it becomes Planet of the Apes. <laughs> The, so uh, it'd be, so I, I feel bad that I want it to be a different movie. There's there's two actors in this that uh, have wildly different performances, and uh, Farrah Fawcett is unbelievably fucking bad. I'm sorry, rest in peace, but it's fucking atrocious. When she has the scene <laughs> later when she's in front of them, she's like, oh yeah, you're the one that was in the face-changing place. Like, what happened to you? You're brain dead. What is This is a terrible performance. <laughs> Just get off the screen, please. But they promoted the shit out of it because she had already been in the first season of Charlie's Angels. And they're like, oh, crap, we got this lady in this small cameo. Let's let's beef this up. Let's promote the crap out of it. Oh, God, it was bad. Yeah, I, I did not remember her in the film. And when I saw the thing, I'm like, oh, Farrah Foss is in this. Okay, this will be interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's in this movie, isn't she? And then the juxtaposition of that in Richard Jordan's over- the top maniac performance so much so that i wanted to slap i'm gonna go back in time slap the filmmaker and go look at the end you may want to actually have him show some real behavior instead of this cartoonish behavior because i just can't imagine he would go that insane <laughs> uh, it's like look there's a yeah. little man right there look you idiot and how does he kill him exactly is it a head wound and he has internal bleeding on his brain he just smacks him on the head and smacks I- him on the back and he just dies well, he he got infected by all the uh, parasites and uh, viruses that are out there in the in the world outside the dome. Sure, he just got really fast because he got sure. uh, he got cut a uh-huh. couple of times. So his compromised immune system meant that uh, he got a cold. I'm saying that know. his acting was so <laughs> over the top that he gave himself an embolism and it burst in his brain. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, no. he's a really great actor. He died really young too. I think his last movie was Posse. I don't know if you ever seen that, the western with Mario Van Peebles and a whole black cast. But uh, no, he's, I've been oh, wanting to. But... He chews the scenery in that one. He's so good. Arr, arr, arr. Some of the best, some of the best uh, performances are just chewing cedar, oh, uh, yeah. chewing the scenery. This, uh, but this holds up so well. So you know, Soil and Green is more of a detective story. And it makes sense that it's a little slower pace. Boy and his dog is just wandering the desert. Logan's run, I mean, it really moves at a, a just amazing pace. Yeah. I was never bored. It was it just, well, it started with the ice scene. 
It's two hour movie. I do think they could have trimmed about ten to fifteen minutes because they felt it meandered a little bit. But for the most part, the chase is truly well edited and exciting. Yeah, it's it's a good it especially for the time because the time definitely had a lot more slower pacing. Yeah, and it's fight pretty... sequences were different back then. They were a little clumsier. Yeah, but it is definitely a much faster-paced film. It does do what it can to keep you engaged at every moment. Yeah. I can't say the same thing about Damnation Alley. Oh, my God. Do you like this movie? I don't. I've tried numerous times. Uh, I I actually fell asleep. I had to watch this twice. (laughs) This came out after Star Wars. After, and I looked at the budget, and it was $6 million. Are you telling me Logan's Run and Damnation Alley had the same budget? And yet, everything looks good in Logan's Run for its time period, of course. Everything in Damnation Alley looks like shit. And there's like four people in the cast, and they basically just wander the desert for so long. Well, it's all the money went into building those landmasters. That, that's really it. There's no, there's no budget other than that. I mean, I guess, no, well, to be fair, I guess Jan Michael Vincent and Richard, not, uh, George Papard were still names at the time. And they probably commanded a decent uh, uh, cost of the budget, I, I, like maybe a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. But um, yeah, it's just it's very strange. I feel like someone padded their own uh, uh, wallet with the other half. Like, oh yeah, it's only three million dollars. I'm gonna tell him it was six. Ah, 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 ah. Yeah, and this this is at least of the films that we see. This one actually does kind of show us the apocalypse. Yeah. You're out in that world get... where it's just bananas, giant freaking monsters, <laughs> which is so superimposed bullshit. Yeah, well, it's funny is because, okay, it's only, it's in 77 where this starts. Russia bombs us, we retaliate, and the world comes to an end. All right, you know, set up. Two years later, so it's 79, all of a sudden there's giant uh, scorpions and uh, flesh-eating roaches. Couldn't they have just... The oh, yeah. roach, okay, the roach scene looked cool. I actually like that, even though I could clearly see someone put a bunch of fake bugs on a mat and pulled them on a string. <laughs> that that was the only... Of the of that sequence, that was the only cool part, was, yeah, them flowing like a river almost. Yeah. That they, was, I, that I, was still, cool. I would have preferred if they had gone with stop-motion animation scorpions instead of whatever that was. Because, yes, well, my eye understands that stop-motion's not real, but at least it's entertaining. That was just bizarre. Well, apparently they had animatronic scorpions. What? Maybe that's where and the budget went. And they didn't look good, so they just so overimposed, uh, superimposed the uh, the really really crappy ones. Okay, on top so of that. One, they replaced one bad thing for another. Okay, that yeah, dumb. Just all right. This makes sense. Jack Smite was a guy who directed a bunch of like exploitation films during the seventies. He wasn't exactly known for being a really good director. What shocks me is this is from Fox. And, and that doesn't sound right to me. I mean, they, they said after Star Wars, oh, yes, five months from now, we need to release this. I would have sold it to television. I just, yeah, you know, this, wrote off the cost. Yeah, this is definitely not well done. Like, you know, saying that it's directed by an ex, a uh, guy who did uh, exploitation films, that makes 100% sense because this is just in a... a shitty exploitation film with a little bit higher budget. Yeah. And, and the thing is, George Papard comes to play. Jan Michael Vincent, just stone-faced. And I even kind of like him. I'm a huge fan of Airwolf. And I've watched maybe most, uh, probably three-quarters of his movies. His face never changes. He, he see, It's just stone-faced all the time. I'm, I'm just shocked he became a star. 
Well, it's like, and this has a doesn't have a bad premise, uh, at least from the story, original story, which is a bunch of prisoners have to go and make a supply run through damnation alley. This, you know, the, this corridor between you know sections of the United States that's like heavily irradiated and filled with dangers, like the giant scorpions and stuff. That's an interesting movie. This is not an interesting movie. Yeah, it's just... This is... We're going to go to Albany because I think there might be something there. Yeah, it's slow and clumsy as hell. It just... it just Yes, it's episodic, but at the same time... Usually episodic movies aren't boring because you get, you know, oh, five-minute sequence every... You know, it just flows. Oh, this is boring. Wait five minutes, you get something exciting. But it just... None of it... None except for you said... Like, you I agree, the roach scene was probably the only interesting part. Yeah, it's like you have something that could have been interesting with those hillbilly biker guys... But there isn't. Yeah. Just and and then it just kind of resolves itself and gives itself a happy ending for no real apparent reason. I was really surprised to see Jackie Early Haley in this. I didn't realize that he had done. I I really thought he only did the Breaking or the uh, Bad News Bears movies until he did Breaking Away in '79, and then that was it. Yeah, and he's not that good. Uh, he's he's been. We've seen him do very good work as a as a child actor, and yeah. this is just kind of why are you here? It's because he wasn't given direction. Some of these people are good actors, but they need to be directed properly. And yeah, it's it's a fumble, and it's weird this has such a cult following. Of all the post apocalyptic movies or or dystopian movies of this time period, this is the one that I keep hearing about. I'm like, really? You know, I've seen. Yeah. Uh, I think there's one called. Um, there's one called The Ultimate Warrior with Max von Sydow and Yul Brenner, which is garbage, but it's highly entertaining garbage. And there's another one with Richard Harris and Art Carney where it's like, uh, kind of like The Warriors Escape from New York kind of thing. I can't remember the fucking name of it, though. I'll, I'll, I'll remember the minute, of course, after we get done recording. But those are urban set dystopian films which are highly entertaining, but they're junk. Um, and then, of course, everything changes with Mad Max, and all of a sudden you get like 9,000 carbon copies of that. Damnation Alley is just in this weird period where I, I just, I, it doesn't Ooh. feel like anything else. And maybe that's why he has a call falling, because it doesn't feel like any of the other movies. Well, it, well, it's also, yeah, and it has this artificial happy ending where really the best ending you could have had for this would have been something like The Day After, where everybody dies. You know, it's them, them going to find this this signal that they know may not be anything only discover that it is nothing and they're all irradiated and they die or something that or ends with an orgy with robots that i mean my ending is much more entertaining i just uh, oh yeah hard disk drive give it to me baby (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it i this this bullshit where all of a sudden oh the poll's writing itself we've got you know, clear blue skies, and oh look, all these people survived the apocalypse, and they're healthy looking. Yeah, that's all shit. And no, it's no, all no. green and shit. Yeah, yeah I, the world that even uh, that's presented in Mad Max is almost ridiculous because you would think the toxic poisoning would just kill everybody or turn them all like mutated, and I just don't buy that. Most of them look okay. There was a meme that came out. I'm sure it's older than I remember, but a couple of years back, uh, where Someone just saying, what if in the world of Mad Max, Australia is the only place that was ever affected by this? Oh, yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. People just go and, like, 
have you seen what's going on in Australia? Those people are fucked up. <laughs> it's called The Ravagers, by the way, the movie with Richard Harris and Art Carney. It's one of those, um, if I remember correctly, part of the city has been taken over by a gang and they're trying to defend their area to keep them from coming in. They finally break through and they're on the run. Hmm. Ravagers. I have not heard of that one. It was no. supposed to be in theaters and some reason, some legal loophole. Um... They weren't, it's whatever, the course decided it could not go to theaters because of a contract violation. It got sold to television. One time it aired. One time. It has never been on VHS as far as I can see. It will never be on video of any kind unless someone clears up this legal issue. But there's international copies. And somehow they were able to finagle the rights for a digital version of it. So you can rent it on Amazon Prime and, and Vudu, I believe. Uh, but you cannot buy a physical copy. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Stroke your goatee as you say that. Well, I'm, I'm uh, twil- uh, twirling my mustache a little bit. <laughs> like, interesting. Um, that's it, I guess. I guess it's the, well, I do have one little comment, I guess, because yeah. it, it is a, a note in my, on my face for Damnation Alley. I'm going to read it verbatim. Wow. Playboys are apparently made with explosives. Because, <laughs> yeah, that is the inciting incident, is this entire uh, bunker, bunker these people are living in burns down because an idiot accidentally drops, like, a, a cigarette on, on a stack of Playboys, and that burns the entire fucking place to the ground. And it blows up and everything, and it's... <laughs> Maybe it's all those sticky pages. Maybe they just are flammable. Ew. <laughs> All right, so uh, I don't know what to say after this. Uh, video night will be back in the summer. We'll do. We're doing shorter seasons. Andrew and I we're going to pick a theme. Um, the agreement is if video night's going to be video night, there's no more guests. So, yeah, awkward. John, thank you for the last couple years of doing this show. We have new adventures to go on to over at our new podcast called Hit Rewind, and it's spinoff which is called uh, We Got the Beat, where we talk about teen movies of the 80s, 90s, and, uh, you know, if it's successful enough, I can do uh, We Got the Beat, The Next Generation, where we talk about 2000s and, and, and so on, or, or The Aftermath, when all these teenagers grow up and become yuppies. Uh, the 80s and 90s were filled with yuppie movies. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you're going to do that, definitely do SLC Punk. Yeah, I was thinking, well, I didn't think about that, but okay. Wait, uh, that's a... That is post high school. You're oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking more like well, St. Elmo's Fire and we, you know, Secret of My Success and stuff like that. Well, it's definitely that's definitely the yep. Uh, rebellious teens becoming yuppie parents. It has the most brilliant line of all time. That's true. I didn't like, buy I didn't in. Sell out, I, I didn't sell sell out, son. I bought uh, in. No, I bought in. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, where can we check you out? I mean, legally, I am without on, you. Uh, yeah. Not secret. I was spying on you, John. <laughs> Taking pictures. Yes, I am on Twitter. I am actually, I am now back on Instagram under musician, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. Uh, my my uh, Instagram feed is concert stuff, because I think that's going to be about the only interesting stuff that I do outside of these podcasts. All those polka concerts, kids. This guy is crazy. You should see it every day with a... Just uh, next to a guy with a... Oompa, uh, oompa, I'm getting tired. Sorry, I'm getting awkward and weird. Uh, Check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. And that is it, everybody. Have a good night. Have a good one, everyone.